0: We are in these sermon series um, of I Love to Tell the Stories, and it's going over some of the just very famous passages in scripture. And while that is good to do, and it's a blessing to do, it's also a little bit um, awkward because y'all know the stories, or many of you do. Some of you may not, but you know, a lot of those we know, and the kids know it in Sunday school, and all that kind of stuff. And yet we're here to uh, recount those, because at different times in our lives, depending on the circumstances we're facing, God may speak a new word to you. And so I just encourage you, as we kind of look at the life of Joseph for just a minute and then the life of Moses, um, that you would just really be asking the Lord, how does it apply to you to where you, where you are right now and, and his word to you, his faithfulness to you. A number of years ago... Um, I was in the carpool line at Carrollton Christian Academy, where I spent a lot of quality time when my children were younger, um, and I was waiting on Lauren. Lauren was in kindergarten. Robert was probably, would have been one, and so I'm sure he was with me. There weren't many days where he was not, uh, which always added a little bit of excitement to the, you know, to whatever circumstance he might be in. Um, including messing with his sister whenever he possibly had a chance. Um, so Lauren gets in the car. You know they put him in the car, and it's like, "How was your day?" If I, you know, all of that. And so we're kind of talking, and I'm driving and trying to not to rear end people or whatever. You know, as you pull out of the parking lot, I don't know if y'all ever been in carpool line, but it can sometimes bring out the best in folks. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, gratefully, this was not one of those circumstances. But we're driving, and it's like, "Well, how was the story?" T- you know, what did y'all talk about? And In class and so from the back seat from her you know she was still in a car seat she said mom if I hear the story of Noah one more time (laughs) and I'm thinking you're five (laughs) you know you're probably gonna hear Noah you know and but I get that you know I get it but at the same time the Word of God is living and active and and sometimes you can read the same passage and something will just jump out at you that maybe 20 years before or five years before, it didn't, it didn't really speak to you. So I wanna do a fast recap about the life of Joseph and then look at the life of Moses because they're very much intertwined. I know Doug went over all of that last week. Um, but I, I'd like to, to do that for just a minute and then talk about a couple of other things that I think are very important. Uh, for us and where we are today. We know about Joseph. We know that he was the favorite son. We know it was a story of favoritism and lying and betrayal and hatred. Something sounds like the Bible, right? Um, I mean, Joseph was hated by his brothers. His father loved him more than the others and made that clear. The coat of many colors was not just like something cool to wear. Uh, Bible scholars feel like it, it had long sleeves. And because of that, that meant he didn't have to work like other people. And so that would have put him in a real good position with his brothers, right, who were already mad at him. You know, and then he would go and tattle, which always helps, right? Um, and then he had the dreams. Now, dreams are fine, but maybe you're not supposed to tell everybody your dreams. And, and who knows? I mean, that's part of the Bible story, but he told them that they would be bowing down to him, which put them in a really good mood. So when the time came that they had the opportunity to send him packing to Egypt, they did. Uh, he went out to try to check on his brothers. Now here's one of the youngest going to check on the older brothers to make sure they were doing things right. So Jacob, you know, wasn't particularly thinking straight in my opinion. Of course they asked me, I was there. But um, <laughs> anyway, they, they see him, they say, here comes that dreamer, you know, we'll kill him. And then one of them was like, no, we can't kill him. And then a, a trade there were trade routes in the, in the Middle East in that day. Uh, and there was a trade route coming along and going to Egypt. And they were like, let's just send him far, far away. And so they did that. They sold him. Um, scripture is clear about other, somebody else was sold uh, for pieces of silver. But Joseph was sold and put into slavery. And they took his coat of many colors and they killed an animal and put blood all over it. And took it back to the dad and said, we found this coat. Is it Joseph's? Well, of course he knew it was Joseph. They knew it was Joseph. It was a big lie. Now, this was to Jacob, who kind of had been known to not totally tell the truth all the time, too, right? Joseph lands in Egypt and he becomes a slave in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar was one of the part of the court of Pharaoh. Well, Potiphar's wife evidently had not been to kindergarten at Carrollton Christian Academy <laughs> because Potiphar's wife. Did not tell the truth, not that all of them do, but just saying. I had some of them in Bible classes, they got older. But, um, but well, we all, let's, you know, I'm not trying to point a finger here. But she, was, she did not tell the truth. She did not know how to keep her hands to herself, right? She didn't attend classes on marriage about being faithful to her husband. I mean, there were problems, and she didn't understand no, meant no. So Potiphar's wife had some issues, and she basically lied about Joseph, and he wound up in prison. We don't know how long. We do know he was 17 years old when he got the coat of many colors, and we know he was 30 when he appeared before Pharaoh to become second in command of the land. So fair amount of time probably in prison. We don't know how much. I would think a day in prison would not be much fun. And I would suggest to you that prisons in that day and in that culture probably weren't real pleasant. Um, So Joseph was in prison, wound up going before Pharaoh later because he could interpret dreams. He gave God the glory. He said it's because what God has done, I know, to do this. And in a day, he became second in command over all the land. And a famine was coming, so he built storehouses. His brothers eventually, this is years later, built storehouses, and brothers came for food, and they did bow down to him. I mean, the scripture was fulfilled. Um, the family was reunited and love to say, like the Disney movies, they lived happily ever after, but they kind of sort of did for a while in Egypt. A scripture in Genesis was fulfilled. The, the Hebrew people were there about 400 years. And then a very pivotal part in scripture, ever so often there will be places in scripture where you look at stuff in a verse in Exodus says, then a Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph. And he didn't care about the Hebrew people. And he was worried about them. He didn't like them because they, they were growing, and they were multiplying, and there were just so many Hebrews, he was afraid of them. So he said, let's put them to work. And, and he, so they were forced into work, uh, and they were whipped and beaten. He also decided we need to have the midwives kill all the baby boys. When a Hebrew is having a child, let's just kill the boys. It's important to look at history when children are being killed. It's important to kind of look at the culture and what's going on and who God is raising up, perhaps for that generation. Uh, the midwives did not agree to that. They didn't do it. They just said, you know, they just told Pharaoh the women were having children before they could get there. So then Pharaoh made an edict and said, any Hebrew boy is to be thrown into the Nile baby. Um, pretty bad. And so the story of Moses and how that Moses' mother had him and saw that he was no ordinary child and so she kept him at home for three months. How she kept him from crying? I mean, just think about it. Just like Allison said in the story. You know, a three-month-old, I don't know how your babies were, my babies occasionally cried, not very often, but you know, um, (laughs) a little sarcasm there. Um, So, I mean, children cry, you know, babies cry. That's how they communicate. So they then made a uh, basket for him and made it waterproof and put him into the Nile. And that alone was pretty scary because there were um, crocodiles, I mean, you know, there were things in the Nile that could create problems if you were a baby in a basket. So, um, Pharaoh's daughter, uh, they, they did it at the time she would be coming down to the Nile to bathe. Uh, now, I've been to the Nile. I haven't been super close, but when I was at the Nile River in Egypt, uh, I'm not sure I'd want to bathe in it uh, or anything else, but that's what they did. I'm sure it was much better then than, than how it is now or how it was uh, a number of years ago. Not, but anyway, that's what they did. They would had to drink from the water, all of that kind of thing. Um, and they found Moses, and Moses' sister was nearby, and she said, do you want me to go find someone to take care of the baby? And so she went and found his mother. And Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' mother to take care of him, we think, probably about three years. And then he was returned to the courts of Pharaoh and uh, grew up there. He would have been trained in the finest of schools. Stephen says in the book of Acts that he would have had tremendous education and he would have been a very good speaker. He was highly educated. Now, I, I am not old enough to have been there in that day, but Moses was, although when I taught Bible, I'm sure they thought I was, um, but Moses, at that time, Egypt was the powerhouse of the world. They were the dominating country. And so I am guessing that there was a lot of activity around the house of Pharaoh. I'm guessing there was probably more than one party, you know, maybe at Christmas time, I don't know. Um, being sarcastic, y'all need to get, they didn't celebrate Christmas then because, you know, Anyway. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm sure it was incredibly exciting. When Moses was about 40 years old, uh, he decided to go out and check out the Hebrews. How are they doing? And he saw an Egyptian really just whipping one of the Hebrews. I mean, just whipping him. And so it doesn't say Moses said, there, there, boys, you know, or hold the whip or whatever. It doesn't say that Moses just yelled at him. It says Moses killed him. Now, you know, I would suggest perhaps anger management classes might've been a good idea, you know, but I mean, he just iced him, you know, hit him in the sand, you know, and it's just like, and so Moses thought he was fine. The next day he, he sees two Hebrews arguing, he goes up to them and he says, um, guys, you know, you shouldn't be fighting. And one of them said, who made you ruler and judge over us? which is a prophetic thing because, oh, wait, Moses would become the ruler and judge of all of them. So thank you for operating the spirit there, God. But um, so this guy says that, and he said, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses realized, oops, I better head out of Dodge. And so he takes off. Pharaoh finds out, is trying to kill him, and Moses goes to the desert. I don't know if you've ever been in the wilderness uh, going to the Middle East, but it is pretty bleak. Um, it is not a land flowing with milk and honey. And he fled to the wilderness and actually found um, some people that needed help with being a shepherd. And he married, it was Jethro was the the man who had the, the priest of Midian, and he had these large herds, and so Moses became a shepherd. Now, I've never been a shepherd. I have observed sheep. I've never been a shepherd. Sheep do not impress me as overly intelligent. Or communicative Um, and so here Moses goes from the courts of Pharaoh to being a shepherd on the backside of the wilderness and I'm sure he thought my life is done this is it this is all it's gonna be and he was there 40 years so you have a season of his life that for 40 years he's in the courts of Pharaoh and then you have a season of his life where he is in timeout basically (laughs) right Kind of, sort of. Um, and it is at that point that he sees the burning bush. And he's kind of like Hark. You know, there's a bush that's burning but not being burned up. And he goes over and God speaks to him. And God knew his name. God called him by name. And told him that it was holy ground. And began to tell him of the call that, of what he wanted him to do. It talks about in one place in scripture that Moses hid, hid his face. Uh, just because of the glory of God. And Moses proceeds to argue with God for about two chapters in Exodus, which I don't know if you argue with God. Um, I probably have upon occasion. I'm not sure it's the wisest thing to do, but sometimes we do, because we feel like we have our plans, and God, why in the world would you interfere with my plans, you know? Um, But Moses was saying, I can't go, I can't speak, I I can't do this at the very end. He's just like, oh, God, send someone else. One point in the passage, Moses says, what's your name? What will I tell them? They're not going to believe me. And it's where God says to him, I am, that I am, present tense, alive. Because all the gods of Egypt were dead. And really in Egypt, they, they, they so focused on death. When Pharaoh was born, they would begin building the pyramid or the place that would hold his body. And they believed in an afterlife, so that was part of the mummification, not the afterlife like we believe in. But So his favorite things, they'd put in the room with him, all that kind of stuff, including they would mummify cats. Now, I don't know if you're cat people. Probably some of you are. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to cat people. But to (laughs) mummify a cat, you know, I mean, and and cats were part of what they worshipped. Um, now, if you're a cat person, you're upset with me and you want to send emails, it would be to uh, Johnston at firstchurch.net. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, people get us confused. Um, very grateful for my, my friend that I've known for over 30 something years, older than some of it, you are alive, kind of scary. Um, and that would be me too, grateful for Cindy uh, and to be a part of the Cindy team. So with the situation with Moses, he didn't want to go. God said go. He's just he doesn't want to do it, but he does. And he goes back to Egypt. Who else to go back into the courts of Pharaoh? He lived there. He knew those guys. The men that wanted him dead were gone. And yet the courage to have to go back in and and to deal with it and yet he had been prepared. He had been prepared. And so he goes in and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, "Uh, uh-huh, no, and gets mad. And so now they have to make bricks, make bricks without straw. It's a very famous concept in scripture of Pharaoh's demands. And sometimes what we feel is put on us. Um, They go through a series of plagues, 10 plagues, all of them dealing with gods of Egypt. The last plague, the plague uh, of the eldest child eldest son was where they said to take the blood of a lamb and to put it over the doorpost uh, incidentally over, over the head and on the sides uh, exactly where Jesus bled when he died on the cross as Jewish uh, families year round celebrate yearly when they celebrate Passover part of the scripture they, they read is from Exodus when God says to Moses that I will redeem you with outstretched arm and how did Jesus die on the cross Exodus 6.6 6 is recited by Jews all over the world when they celebrate the Passover meal every year. And Jesus died on the cross with outstretched arms. And God was saying in Exodus 6, with outstretched arm, I will redeem you. Just like the songs we sing. The last plague, just very briefly, uh, had to be a year-old male lamb, which is a ram. And ram- the ram was the highest god of Egypt. Egypt. The most significant God, and so the Israelites had to kill the ram and then spread the blood, which was no small matter with all the you know they were killing the God that was worshipped most the most in, in egypt, and so it took a great deal of courage for the Israelites, but that was part of the blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over uh, and then Doug will take up the story from here, but I want to talk about. Several things that I feel like the Lord, just in praying over this and thinking, and how does it apply to us? Because just like Lauren, we have all been like, I know that story. You know, I've heard it a zillion times. How does it apply to you? Um, Praying about this, one of the things that I got is that God's calling is very different than Favreau's demands of work, okay, the demand of slave labor, ...that God's calling, he will then equip you. He says in Exodus to Moses, I will be with you. You're not going alone. God's calling is very different. And I don't think age is, a, is an issue at that point. I think Moses was 80. I think at different times in our lives, God may have us do different things. And I think the critical thing is to be open and to be asking... ...and to be in a place of, Lord, what do you want me to do? In this season in my life, we all have different seasons... I think another thing to really think about is that he knew his name. That we have, we serve a God of relationship. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on and it matters. It was the case with the children of Israel in Egypt. And it's the case for you and me today that he knows exactly where you are. He knows what's going on. And it's calling on his name that makes the difference. So I just encourage you in that, if you don't feel like he knows you personally, my word to you today, or my word for you to consider is that he does, and that he's a God of relationship, and he wants to be close with us. It's not a matter of what we do, like the things that we fill out, which we need in the church for different things to happen, but it's who you are in him. It's about being with him before you do stuff for him. Because it's out of that relationship of love, then, then you can hear his voice on what he would have you do. And if he's asking you to do stuff, it's not your power or my power. It's his power. I feel like this church is at a, a, a very exciting point of what God is wanting to do next. And it's while we need to be here and, and obviously worship and all of this, it's about what God is doing in our midst and how we respond to him. So it's not about what you do or, or how you have to do things. It's are you, are you okay with the relationship? Is that okay? Do you get that? How much he loves you? Doesn't matter what you've done. His love is unconditional. Moses killed a guy, right? I mean, David killed a guy. David's considered one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. Doesn't mean that we can do violent things or whatever and just go, oh, well, you know, happened to Moses. I'm pretty good. You know, obviously, we're not trying to walk into sin, but to realize it's relationship. It's relationship. And then out of that, he equips us for whatever he calls us to do. I want to talk to you for a minute about um, the taskmaster. This is a very classic thing with counselors, and I am not a licensed counselor, but I've prayed with a lot of people. And it is amazing how people had this idea of, you know, I've got to, it's like make bricks, make bricks without straw. And I don't know if that was something that was told to them when they were children or if they weren't affirmed or if somehow they just felt like they never had their father's approval or maybe a school teacher said something. Or sometimes it can be just something that was barely said and it wasn't meant like to burn us, but it does. And so we feel like we're in the process of making bricks, making bricks without straw, and it's never enough. And that's not God. That's not God. Um, With a prayer partner, I met with a man years ago, not from here, you don't know him. um, But praying with him, he kind of mentioned, he was a very successful businessman, very successful. He had done well and he had worked hard. And he just kind of casually mentioned that uh, he had gone to the cemetery and stood over his father's grave and screamed, screamed at the grave, is it enough now? Have I done it right yet? And when you're sitting with somebody like that, you try to keep a poker face. You know, you try not to go, oh my gosh, you know, or to go, what? You know, what did you just say? Um, and we were just kind of like, you know, we're, we're kind of going to need to <laughs> pray about that one. Um, you know, if you had a list at that point about prayer concerns, that would have moved to the top, you know. Um, and it wasn't like that day, but we talked about that because that was very deep for him. That was a very deep thing that, that in childhood, growing up as a teenager, in college, in having children, his, the guy's grandchildren, all that stuff wasn't good enough. A couple of sessions later, we prayed with him and a critical thing for him was forgiving his dad. And I know that it's not easy. I don't say that lightly. It's a decision. It's not an emotion. If it were just an emotion, we'd never do it because things have happened to us sometimes that were absolutely wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean what happened was okay. Forgiveness means you're willing to let it go. It had affected that man for 50 something years. And that, that night, he was willing to let it go. It was hard for him. But he said the words, Dad, I forgive you. And when we finished praying, his first thing to us, and then he was a big guy, um, he said, I am exhausted. And then he said, I feel so light. He had carried that all his life, feeling like he could not do enough For his dad who had been dead a number of years. Now that's real fun. You're not having to interact with them on this earth. But it's still in your head. It's still been in your spirit. And so I just encourage you. God is not the taskmaster. He is not whipping you to say make bricks. Make bricks without straw. He is saying he wants a relationship. And he knows you by name. And he's calling you by name. And he's saying it's going to be okay. So I would just ask you, who's your taskmaster? And you may not have one at all. And it may be you, (laughs) you know. Sometimes we are not our own best friends. In our own mindset of what we think is important or what's good enough, I think it's important to get to the point where we understand what God is saying. Forgiveness is the key to so much. This week, as I was praying about this, um, a phrase came to me that I'd never really thought of before. And and I consider this as emotional pain. But what came to me strongly, and I wrote it down, what came to me strongly was, forgiveness takes the power out of pain. Now, I'm not saying that things aren't painful. I get it. Things are painful. I'm not saying that things haven't happened that are hurtful. Because things have happened that are hurtful to all of us. But I'm saying when we can forgive, it becomes a huge thing in our own mental health. And in releasing that to the Lord, committing it to God. Sometimes people in the church hurt people. I know that's a newsflash. Everybody write that down take notes. Um, Sometimes things happen in church. You know, the church is made up of people and we mess up Sometimes. And sometimes people, you know, at, at another church when I was on staff at Hillcrest Church, um, it was an interdenominational church, and uh, people would come from a lot of different places. And it was, it was really amazing how many people needed someone to say, that was wrong, that shouldn't have happened to you. You know, on behalf of the church, I'm asking for your forgiveness there, that, that you can forgive and move on. That somebody could say, that was wrong, that shouldn't have happened, I'm sorry. But it's not worth ruining your life. It's not worth letting it control you. Praying about this time and and the whole story of Moses, um, another thing that was very clear, I felt like the Lord was saying it's not really about circumstances. We are so aware of our circumstances, and I'm not saying pretend like it's not there or whatever, that we just totally ignore things that are like staring you in the face, but there is always a bigger picture. We deal with a God, a living God, a God of eternity, and there is always a bigger picture. And we may not understand the current things that are happening to us. I'm sure Joseph was just going, why am I here in jail? You know? I'm sure Moses was going in the wilderness, this is it. It's over. And at 80 years old, God called him and said, oh, by the way, I have something else for you to do. Something that I've really prepared you for. I'm not saying that God's intention is heartache for us. I am saying that when that happens, he is with us. He knows where we are. As a church, we have a calling. As individuals, we have a calling. And it doesn't mean everybody's supposed to be a preacher or whatever. But there are things God has called you to do. The most important thing I'm convinced we can ever do is pray. That prayer is so huge In in our situation, uh, in our personal situations, prayer is so huge. So I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what news you got this week, if it was a good week or not such a good week. I don't know where you are if you feel like you're in the desert or you feel like you're in a good place, if you feel like you're in jail or if you feel like things are great. I don't know. But I do know that regardless of what you've gone through, God redeems and God restores. And he has a bigger plan. Very briefly, just talking about Shiv, who's in Cambodia right now. It's about midnight there, I think. Yes, they're about 12 hours. Um, and I'm sure he's had a very full day. Um, when Shiv left Cambodia, he was, he was telling us some about this this week, that, that he was in a Uh, camp then for two years in Thailand and then eventually made it to the United States. But Chiv had no idea he'd be going back to Cambodia. He didn't want to go back to Cambodia. Imra thought if he went back, he would not come back. He would die. I asked her that, and she said yes. I thought that those that were in power at the time, I mean, Chiv made it through the killing fields, and and then in Thailand was in a uh, camp, a refugee camp. Not easy stuff. And then one day, he feels like he's supposed to go back. He's beginning to think that. And Jeff Dietz, who was the missions pastor at the time, and Mark Wyatt, you know, they all went. And Emera thought she was saying goodbye. She said, I said goodbye to my husband. And she goes, and he goes to talk to his family, his sister. And his sister had gathered all the relatives and friends, his sister who just recently died. She gathered all these people and shared his story and they came to the Lord and it just grew from there. This isn't an easy trip to take. Those that have gone to Cambodia, I think, would testify, but incredibly powerful. Nathan uh, mentioned in a meeting last week, he said being with Chiv in Cambodia is like watching the Apostle Paul as he goes from church to church. They said it's amazing. It's amazing how, how he moves and ministers to the people. Chiv's sister paved the way in just in having all the people come together, and it was said at her funeral, they had to, when she died they had to go ahead and have services over there. It was all Buddhist. They would do different things on uh, as far as putting things on the radio or things on speakers, to, the kind of music. And for hers, they played Christian music, and that had never been done. That had never been done. And Shiv feels like the place where they had the funeral for her church, not her home church, but the place. That that will be a new church. Scripture talks about unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. And oh, the fruit. I think if you asked Chiv, did you think this would happen? I, I think he'd say, not in a million years. But God called Chiv. Just like God called Moses and God called, calls us to, do, to be faithful and to believe that he'll take care of us. <clears throat> I don't know who calls your name. I know there are times in my life that that I could say fear or anxiety or worry are pretty close, and I feel like they're calling my name, if I'm being honest. I know that's not the positive confession thing, but sometimes that's reality. Sometimes that's what you have to fight. Sometimes loneliness or despair, whatever, you know, the fear of, of a medical decision. But what about the one that calls your name? and says that you are his, and that he loves you, and he cares for you, and that you are precious in his sight. May we believe the words of the one that died on the cross for us. May we believe his plan for our lives. May we believe his plan for the church. May we believe what he said. And as we're beginning to prepare for the season of Advent, when we are saying, come, Lord Jesus, anticipating that time, When we're in this season of thanksgiving, may we honor him. May we honor him in what he is doing in our midst. He is the one that calls your name, and he calls you to good things. He calls you to his love. He calls you. as I, as we were in the times of worship and it was interesting to me, the different songs and how they applied to breaking our chains. And, you know, people may say, I'm, I don't do enough, but God, you say I do enough. And that kind of thing. Obviously I didn't write the lyrics because I'm not remembering them right now, but um, <laughs> um, clearly I got in my mind um, the words, it is not over. And I don't know if there are people here today that feel like that, but what I felt like God was saying was, it is not over. And in any situation, I believe we have to listen to what God is saying and not what our minds may tell us or circumstances may tell us or whatever, but that we would listen to what he is saying. And that may or may not apply to anyone. But God is with us. God is with us. What a blessing. What a gift. If you would like to to pray about any of that, you know, I mean, I know we always come down and pray, but if you would like to pray about that, um, I encourage you to do so. If if you need someone to pray with you, obviously that is fine. Um, But I just encourage you in this time where you are, that he is with us. He knows exactly where you are, and he is faithful. Moses being obedient changed the course of history and fulfilled a prophecy.